This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always by Barnabas Piper. And Pipe, we have a uh, we have a new sponsor this week. We have a one week sponsor uh, that is the Jackson Generals here in Jackson, Tennessee, Double uh, A affiliates of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So uh, I'm a frequenter of Jackson Generals games, and uh, I love it when these guys come on board. They sponsored. Uh, a podcast or two for us last year, and uh, it is always a great time at the ballpark. Have you been able to to catch any minor league baseball this year, Pipe? Not this year. I'm looking at going to a Nashville Sounds game in a weekend or two. I uh, just have to figure out the, the when they're in town. The last time I wanted to go, they were playing in Las Vegas or something, which would have been a lot of fun. But that would have that's, a, a that's an expensive drive. trip though for AAA yeah. baseball. So the Sounds are AAA, correct? Yes, they're the AAA uh, Oakland A's team, ah, and I usually try to get to a Chattanooga Lookouts game once or twice a year as well, so hopefully later this summer. They're the AA affiliate for the Twins, which ah, means... So you can actually see prospects. Yeah, I've, I, I've gotten to see a number of guys who are now on the Twins play for Chattanooga over the last few years. That's been a lot of fun. Dude, so fun fact on the Jackson Generals, they used to be the AA affiliate of the uh, Seattle Mariners, my new team. And part of the business deal that we worked out uh, with Nick Hall and the uh, the staff over at the Jackson Generals was uh, a pair of game-used jerseys for us, Pipe, with the Seattle Mariners logo on the shoulder. So uh, you'll get your jersey here in the mail uh, before too long. And uh, I have mine, and I'm loving it. And uh, just another little piece of, of Mariner swag. Uh, even though those teams are no longer affiliated. But uh, jacksongenerals.com, hit them up for ballpark tickets. They have lots of great promotions. Uh, tickets are very reasonable. I don't know what Nashville Sounds tickets go for, but um, you can get into the ballpark uh, at the Generals, I think, for less than 10 bucks, and uh, and have an amazing time and you know have a lot of, a lot of space, a lot of fun things going on. Um, here's the funnest thing that happens uh, when I took Maxim to the Generals game. So I was hanging around. I always get there early. I'm a big early arriving guy to the ballpark. And um, we wandered over to the bullpen because Maxim wanted to see the pitchers warming up. And I realized that the pitching coach for the Jackson Generals is Doug Drabeck. Do you remember Doug Drabeck from the 90s? I do remember Doug Drabeck and his hair. Yeah, Drabeck had amazing hair. So he had a mullet in the 90s, kind of a curly mullet. Um, it was the envy of... of you know, every kid who had kind of semi-long mullety hair in the 90s. And he had a great mustache to go through yes. it. Or to go with it. And I'm happy to report that both things still exist, except that they're like white now. So That's that's the most minor league coach. I mean, like if you were going to, if you were going to make like, say, you know, the uh, the movie Major major Leagues, uh, yeah. if you were to make a minor leagues movie, you would make the pitching coach with either a salt and pepper or just straight up white mullet and mustache. It's Dude, absolutely totally. guaranteed. Totally. It's, it's guaranteed and it's a have to. And I'll tell you, man, like, I, I don't know, at our age, when you go to ball games now, like, I, I know for me, like, I really don't care who wins or loses or even how much action there is. Like, I'm just looking for experiences. And I got to tell you, man, seeing Drabeck in the in the bullpen was really fun because it resulted in uh, a bunch of texts to buddies. Um, because Drabeck is, he's in that perfect wheelhouse of like, a celebrity sighting that's 
almost fun because of how obscure the guy is. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, if I had seen like Shaquille O'Neal in an airport, it would have almost not even been text worthy. But the fact that it was Doug Drabeck, it was this obscure like pirate's name from the '90s, great era, great mullet. Like it was What's, the it was the perfect kind of novelty text. And there's you know a, there's I mean? a sense of pride in recognizing somebody who 99 out of 100 people would pass by and not know who it is. Absolutely. Like, yeah, every, everybody's going to know who sh- either who Shaquille O'Neal is or that he's somebody because he's a man mountain. You know, everybody's yeah, going to yeah. recognize uh, Derek Jeter, even though he is a little paunchy and not quite the same guy he was in, you know, 2002. But, yeah, distinctive yeah, look, though, and has that celebrity kind of, you know, rich he, person's yeah, air about him. He's got him. an aura about him. Yeah, Doug Grayback is like, he, he, could be, he could be any any middle-aged dude with a mullet. Except, Dude, absolutely. except he's not. So other interesting Drabeck things. It was about 150 degrees out at the ballpark that night. Um, the sun was just blazing hot. The humidity was like 90%. And Drabeck is sitting in the bullpen like with a jacket on sipping a cup of coffee. And I was just like, how can you do this? Um, which is another old man thing. <laughs> like most people in that situation, if they wanted to caffeinate, they would just drink like a five-hour energy or a rock star or whatever. But – um, how, an what, awesome old man thing. How is like, bad was his hangover? Is the question, dude? Yeah, yeah it does beg the question. I mean, it definitely. Or begs the has question. he just reached the age where that's what he wears, and he's like, it could be negative twenty or hundred and twenty. This is what I'm putting on, and this is what I'm drinking because I'm dude, old and I, I think, don't care. I think that might be it, man. And I really, really respect that. Oh yeah, that's um, fantastic. Dude, so I watched him there for like five or six minutes until Maxim wanted to go somewhere else, and he was like. You know, doing the thing where they throw the, you know, the fake wild pitches at the at the starting catcher to warm him up. And yep. it occurred to me that, like, this is so respectable. You know what I mean? Like, for a former Cy Young winner who played 10, 12 years in the league, had a distinguished career, I would much rather see Doug Drabeck doing this than, like, signing cards at a mall or even, like, being a talking head on TV. I don't know. There's something really respectable about like just continuing to be in the game and working hard, working every day. Yeah, and it's and he's not even kids. and it's not even like I mean he's in the game. It's not like he started a a pitching academy, you know, or Dude, like right, spun right. off spun off these pitching videos where he's trying to platform himself. He he made all the money he needs playing pro baseball. Now, granted, the salaries weren't the same then as they are now, but yeah. I'm sure he did well, and he probably makes between forty five and seventy five grand a year doing that yeah. job. Not yeah. that's not that's not life changing money for sure. for for somebody in his shoes. So he's only doing it because he loves baseball and wants to see young guys get better at baseball. Dude, the thing that he seemed the most stoked about. So I, I eavesdropped on a couple of minutes of conversation that he had with the groundskeeper. He was really pumped about like the tractor that they used to mow the field, and he was talking about how he's going to get to the ballpark like early the next day and take a couple of turns on it. And I'm just like, this is the most awesome old man thing ever. Like, you know, you've you've pitched in these huge stadiums in, in big contexts, but you're just super pumped about mowing. Um, that is it was good. Yeah, that is the most old man thing ever. Yeah, it's like if the president walks up and sits on your porch and you're like, hang on a second. I got a new John Deere I got to test out. <laughs> exactly. So you hang tight, 45. Exactly, man. Exactly. No, it was super cool, dude. And it was a super great night at the park just for, for Maxim and me. Uh, the generals hooked us up with great tickets. We were in uh, in row two right behind home plate. Uh, we were sitting in front of some scouts, which was fun. 
And um, did you just ask, of, did you ask him any sort of scouting questions, or was it just sort of being near them was cool? Dude, being near them was cool. Hearing their banter with each other was cool. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't ask them any questions. I, I'm I'm a very like, well, I'm a pretty introverted guy in general. But like at ballparks, um, in any sort of sports celebrity context, like it never even occurred to me to talk to Drebeck. Like talking to Drebeck would have ruined it. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, like the the best thing to do is just hang out, listen to him. You know, talk to his his players and just enjoy the moment. Um, yeah, like but- trying to do. If you say say you walked into a um, well, right? I know you're gonna say. I was gonna but, say into a bar, and then I was like, "Wait, we're Baptist. We can't." say Wait, that. we're Baptist. Um, we don't walk into bars. Let's say we walked into a coffee shop. Well, yeah. Let's say you were standing in line next to him at Starbucks. So yeah, it's away yeah. from work. It's not the ballpark. You recognize him. Would you strike yeah. up a conversation in that context, where it's more like a this is utterly neutral, or would that feel invasive as well? Dude, no, this is, this is a great line of conversation, actually, because I, I need to think this through because it might happen. Um, I think I would pipe provided the body language w- would welcome that. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain yeah. kind of body language that says, you know, don't don't mess with me. Don't talk with me, whatever. Um, but if the body language was warm at all, I would I would go for it. And I would be very brief, very respectful. Um, hey, I enjoyed watching you. Enjoyed your work you know, best of luck to you kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, I tend to, I tend to go conservative on those things, but let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever been in that context or had one of those as an adult? And if so, how did you handle it? Uh, yeah, a couple times. And I, I never bring up their work. Yeah. I mean, interesting. It's, so at least once next to a professional athlete, a couple times near musicians. So like Ricky Skaggs, for example, who if you're into the bluegrass world, he's a, he's yeah. a well-known guy. And and I just I'm much more like I'll I'll make small talk with them. I'll I'll have a conversation. Yeah. But I'm not like I'm not going to ask Ricky Skaggs about playing the banjo. Like I don't. Yeah. That, that seems odd to me. Or like I don't you know. Drabeck's another would be a similar case where like I'm I'm familiar with what they did, but yeah. I don't love their work because I I was like four when when yeah. Drabeck pitched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, it was he was he didn't make an impact on my life. Dude, I, yeah. So the comment isn't it, it almost isn't I loved your work. It's almost like I like that you existed or yeah. I like the era that you remind me of. Yeah, you know I, mean, what I, mean? I feel like commenting to a celebrity on what they did is mostly a recognition that you know what they did. Like they know sure, what sure. they did. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. E- you know, if it's a if it's an author and you love their work, that's a different statement because that's expressing appreciation. But like knowing that Ricky Skaggs plays bluegrass doesn't matter to Ricky Skaggs. And so for that's me true. to comment on that, it just it yeah. basically just makes both of us nod at the end, and that gets awkward. That's true, man. That's true. Yeah, you have to really like you have to really know what you're doing in that conversation because you can you can get to that nodding and being awkward point real fast. And, um, you, you don't want that to happen, but you also don't want to imply that you want to have like a 20 minute conversation. So, which is why I most of the time just say absolutely nothing, yep. um, because you can't screw that up. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean, what's the best that can come of saying something? It's not like, you know, Drebeck and I are going to like hang out that evening and become, you know, best buds. And I don't think there's ever been a celebrity who resents somebody just being chill around them. Yeah, ever. Exactly. I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah, 
it's not like Drebeck is going to leave this hypothetical coffee going like, why didn't that guy talk to me? Like, I know he recognized me. And, if he, he and if he does, then he's a very small man. Dude, right. Then that's not the person you want to talk to anyway. So um, I wonder what the what's the Mendoza line for who you would feel comfortable talking to and who you wouldn't like. Because if, if I was in line at a Starbucks with Jarek Jeter, I, I just wouldn't say anything. You know what I mean? Because like it's it's too big of a star. Um and what would I have to say to him? You know what I'm saying? Um, whereas Drayback, you could, you know, you could say, "Hey, I saw you at the Generals game, and I'm glad I'm glad you're in town." Or, you know, "Thanks for working with our prospects," or whatever. Um, but what do you say to Derek Jeter? You know? Yeah, and Jeter's a little bit big. So, oh, oh, I, the the experience that just popped into my mind was. It was so far off the beaten path, and I think that's why I felt comfortable doing this. I was in a hotel in Tel Aviv, Israel, okay. and I'm waiting for some friends to come down the elevators. We're going to go out. I mean, the, the hotel is right on the boardwalk by the Mediterranean, so we're going to go out on the boardwalk and just uh, chill for the afternoon. And yeah. and I see a really tall black guy with braids mm-hmm. talking to two very attractive women at the hotel bar. <laughs> And I'm like, that looks like somebody. But I didn't have a very good angle, so I kind of walk around the other side, and I see it's Amari Stoudemire. Who, oh, nice. So former poor, power forward, most notably of the Phoenix Suns of the seven seconds or less era, then yep. New York Knicks, just at his prime, was one of the best pick-and-roll finishers in, oh, yeah. in NBA history. So fun to watch with Steve Nash. And I was like, this is awesome. So I went back over to the other side of the lobby, so I wasn't stalking him. And I also wasn't, you know, whatever game he was, uh, whatever game he had going on at that bar, I was not going to be an interruption because that seemed important to him. Um, (laughs) But then after a while, he comes walking across the lobby uh, with nobody with him, you know, and he's, he's six, nine or six, 10 and uh, I'm six, two. And so I don't look up to a lot of people, but felt very small next to him. And I just walked over and and said, Hey, and uh, because I was like, it's a hotel in Israel. Like this, this feels like the kind of context where. Dude, Normal. we're both Americans in a hotel in Israel, so therefore that gives us kind of yeah. an immediate common ground. And I just I just walked over and said, hey, Mari, loved watching you play. Just wanted to say hi. Do you mind if I get a picture? I have some friends who would love to see it. And he was totally cool, so I just snapped a quick selfie with him. This goes back to a conversation we had on the oh, other yeah, podcast the selfie about appropriate selfies. Absolutely. I, I think this falls in the appropriate selfie because cool place, celebrity, yeah. and I didn't post it on Instagram. Or maybe I did. I can't remember. Um, and so that was a context where I was like, he's he's above the Mendoza line. Like, I would say hi to him in that context. But I guarantee if I had seen him at, like, the Hilton Times Square, yeah, never would have said hi. Dude, Amari Stoudemire, too, is in that – he's in that Doug Drabeck genre of, like, it's almost cooler because it was him. You know what I mean? It's cooler because he's just – obscure is the wrong word, but he's just, just a tiny bit below a list. You know what I mean? So again, if you meet LeBron James in an airport lobby, yeah, that's cool. But, um, I don't know to me, there's something better about it being a guy who's a little bit offbeat. Yeah. Like, Um, like, uh, Jalen Rose who works for ESPN is sort of the, he would be that guy who I would want to say, Hey, to, cause like guys who were all stars in their era, but mm-hmm. not all-time greats kind of fit this category. Like, Drabeck's like that. Stoudemire's like that. Jalen Rose was like that. Like, good score, really good player, never near the best in the game. Um, exactly. And kind of a short-lived peak. Like, those are guys who I would say hi to. But, like, if I saw, I don't know, Carl Malone, 
Nope. Yeah. He's an all-time great. Not going to say how to call him alone. Dude, and I think, too, there's a there's a level at which you want to give encouragement to people who you perceive as needing it at some level. And not like Amari Stoudemire <laughs> is going to, like, go – Go home, go up to his room in Tel Aviv and cry himself to sleep if Barnabas Piper doesn't say <laughs> hi at the hotel. But like that would be you know, kind of cool, though. Yeah, that would be so cool. But Carl Malone, you know, probably has people coming up to him daily to say, like, you know, I, I loved watching you with the jazz or whatever. Whereas Amari Stoudemire might be a, a little more catch as catch can in that area. So, you know what? You know what else is a parallel between uh, Drebeck and Stoudemire? The reason Stoudemire was in Tel Aviv is because. He when he retired from the NBA at like 36 or 37, bad knees, couldn't really jump anymore. He went and became a star player on Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is one of the best Israeli professional teams, and they compete in Euroleague basketball. and And so he's he played in Israel for several years, and uh, or has. And so yeah. he he did another thing just sort of for the love of the game, and because he, I think he converted to Judaism, and he just sort of loves Israeli culture and basketball. And he extended his career that way in a in a way that's like he's not he's not trying to get famous. You don't go play in Maccabi Tel Aviv if you want to be the world's biggest basketball star. Dude, Tel Aviv is such a cool city. Oh, it is. Like tip of the cap to Amari Stoudemire for like figuring all that out because I mean if I was like six ten and hyper athletic, I would I would play basketball in Israel in a heartbeat. Man, that's a it's just an easy country to be in. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Tel Aviv is gorgeous. It's a uh, world-class city, and I don't mean that like in a snotty American way. I mean like American right. cities have some things to learn from Tel Aviv. Yeah, no kidding, man, no kidding. I, I don't blame Amara at all for uh, for going over there to play. So keeping with the on, on the theme of like old man ballpark stuff, Pipe, do you have any like – any opinions, any strong opinions about what like ballpark culture has become? Because I was talking with a friend the other day. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, but not much. And, um, we were talking about how we want to buy a minor league team together and run it in a completely like old man way at the ballpark. So not a bunch of crazy screens, not a bunch of crazy, like TV stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like tamp down the music, bring back the organ. Yep. Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm all in on old man ballpark. Ballpark stuff, entertainment should consist of three things. Okay. The organ. There you go. And there should be ba- a basic set list, you know, like they can do the dun, 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 sure. dun, dun, you know, that stuff. Yeah. They can play Take Me Out to the Ball Game, obviously. There's like, there's, there's, there's organ music. That's it. Number yeah. two, a mascot. Okay. Yeah. But a properly done mascot, like the Philly Fanatic from the 80s yep. and 90s. That's, that's prime mascot material. Minor mm. league teams tend to do this well, but they're a little, they're usually a little over involved. They just need to do sure. a few more silly things on top of the dugout, play some pranks on the pitching coach, uh, you know, pick on the umpires and entertain the children. There you and go. three is, uh, jumbotron videos of people doing dumb stuff in the stands. So not the okay. kiss cam, not the, uh, you know, not the dance cam, like where they're asking people to do this stuff, but just like it's a minor league game. There's going to be an overweight dude who drinks too much and just grooves to some song. <laughs> and that should be on the Jumbotron or children true, who are man. just having the, you know, the best time. Like everybody loves to see kids having a good time at a baseball game. So yeah. those are the three staple elements of ballpark entertainment. Everything else is just it fills up the sort of beautiful white noise of the ballpark. And that bothers yeah. me. I know, dude, the white noise is what I miss, you know, 
there's there's this experience. Um, there's one seat in particular at uh, the ballpark for the Jackson Generals. Uh, it's upstairs, and upstairs there's a a little second level with probably like ten rows or less of seats. And um, I always go up there. There's rarely anybody up there. It's shaded, and it looks out over um, the outfield out to I-40. And you can see the cars going past on I-40. There's like a cornfield, you know, directly behind there. And to me, it's just idyllic, and it's a great place to to sit and chat with my lady if she's with me or to shoot the breeze with my kids if they're at the ballpark with me. But, yeah, all the cacophony of, you know, little snippets of music. Like, there's nothing worse than, like, 10 seconds of music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, they string a bunch of those together. And it's always the just the crappiest music. Yeah, it really like is, you know, man. It, it's always it's always the dance jam from two summers ago. Exactly, exactly. It's never it's never either very current music or good music from any era. Right, dude. I noticed this the most when I last went to an NFL stadium. Uh, I think it was a Titans game a couple of years ago, and man, there's just gigantic screens everywhere, and you know, music all the time such that like you can't even start or finish a conversation with the people that you're with. But um, I think I'm getting old, man. And speaking of people who are getting old and old man ballpark stuff, uh, did you see Judd Apatow's uh, 30 for 30 on Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry? I didn't. I'm fascinated by Gooden and Strawberry. But if Judd Apatow's name is on something, there's like a one and a half percent chance I'll see it. He annoys the everything out of me. Let's talk about that because I agree, and I want to know like why for you, and I, I'm I'm sure it's similar to the why for me. But uh, lay that on me, man. So Judd Apatow is sort of comedy royalty in Hollywood, and even in the stand-up scene. There's yeah, and and I think it's in some ways because he was a bit of a kingmaker. You know, he's been involved in some shows that got other very successful comedic actors, again, many of whom I don't find very funny. Um, yeah, into into acting, but. I went through a two or three year stretch, maybe more, where I listened to a ton of podcasts hosted by comedians, watched a lot of comedy because I love comedy as because it makes me laugh, but also because I think it's I think it's a fascinating art form. Mm-hmm. And Apatow was just involved in all this stuff, and I'm like, he is not funny. He is an yeah. unfunny comedian. He's not right. funny in conversation. His stand up's not funny, and his movies are like one big fart and penis joke. Like that, dude. Right. That's the. That's the kind of humor that you're supposed to grow out of after puberty. Like you, you start with that. And granted, all of us still have, you know, we still, we still find those things funny. That's how we make our kids laugh, things like that. But like, there's also supposed to be like, let's grow into some smarter humor and some more clever humor. And it's like, he just like, nah, we're just going to stick to, to pot and, and dirty jokes. Like that's what we do. Dude, here's what's crazy, man. Apatow did Freaks and Geeks, which was a, a TV series that I think had, I think it just had one year. I think there was only one season of Freaks and Geeks, and it was amazing. It was full of, like, you know, pathos and heart and great characters. And, I mean, it had some of the Judd Apatow stuff that would present a lot more later. But, you know, it was really just a really sweet story about families and friends. And did did you watch it? Did you watch Freaks and Geeks? I didn't. It's one of those ones that that everybody in the comedy world brings up as, like, that yeah. or, or of a certain generation brings up as like a seminal thing, either because they were involved in it, yeah. Because I guess it was also the starting point for a ton of comedic actors and actresses. 
It was. And then, uh, and then just because they looked at it and they were like, that's a new and different thing. And I think that's probably yeah. why it didn't last is because it, it was ahead of its time and it was pre sort of the Netflix show kind of. Yeah, know. exactly. No, it was. And um, it, it's interesting because I avoided it for years because Apatow was involved with it. Um, but I watched it, loved it. Um, but yeah, Apatow has made a career out of like middle-aged white dirtbag stuff. You know what I mean? Um, you know, guys, guys like our age. When you making... lean heavily on Seth Rogen for comedy, <laughs> you're, yeah, exactly. you're, you're not doing something right. That's true, man. That's so true. And I think Freaks and Geeks was peak Seth Rogen. He, he topped out there and it's been, it's been downhill ever since. But anyway, Apatow made this, this movie, this 30 for 30 about, um, Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden, who you may be a little young for in terms of, like really remembering slash caring about these two players. Am I right about that? Uh, I don't remember them from their peak, but when I became a baseball fan pretty hardcore in the early and mid nineties, you know, they were both still around, but it was, it was like post recovery. So both of them hit the skids with, uh, in both their cases, I think it was heavy drug use, maybe a criminal case in one in doc's case. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they both made comebacks in the nineties with the Yankees. Um, which means I hated them because they were on the Yankees. Right. But, but you could still see glimpses, and everybody talked about them with just reverence. Yeah. For their, you know, the comment was always like, Daryl Strawberry, still, he shows flashes, but if you had seen him in, you know, 1987, or Doc Gooden, that rookie, what was it, is 1986, I think was his rookie season? Yeah, 86. When he yep. just, he threw like 260 innings and struck out 300 batters and just, demolished the league like nobody had ever seen and and both of them are african-american in a league that was primarily white or uh latino and they just stood out in every way so i i was fascinated by them by that but i didn't see them in their peak yeah dude it was insane how good they were you know they were both like you said i mean they were dominant they they looked different than a lot of the stars in major league baseball at that time and you know, they were they were on that 86 Mets team that had all that talent on it, but kind of caught lightning in a bottle. And, you know, people expected their run to last a lot longer than it did. And one reason that it didn't was was all the decadence on this team. And, you know, the the documentary suggests that, you know, it was just a team full of junkies. I think Strawberry said that in the documentary that like almost every single guy on that team just you hear estimates from players who are like oh yeah 40 to 60 percent of players in major league baseball throughout the 80s were were doing coke now and i'm sure that that's an exaggeration but like if 15 percent of players were doing coke that is cocaine right in professional sports that is insane i know it is insane man And and the documentary was insane on that level and i guess the, the the part that still makes me feel a little bit naive is that I hear stuff like that and I don't entirely believe it. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like, yeah, this has got to be embellished. You know, there's no way all these guys could be doing all this coke. But um, but they were. And that's the crazy thing about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, and I guess my question is, do you think how much of the, that culture do you think still exists in pro sports? Um, I. I think I think athletes I think the society in general has become so much more educated about drug use. Mm-hmm. I think the party culture is insane. Yeah. You know, in terms of alcohol consumption and probably weed. Yeah. Um and but I think even with things like performance enhancing drugs like 
players are scientists now. And yeah. they if if a player gets caught for doing something they shouldn't have done, you know, yeah. any sort of banned substance, whether it's a recreational drug or performance enhancing drug, like they're just idiots. Like yeah. that's just idiotic because the science behind it is so advanced and it's always ahead of the drug testers. So I think right. the party culture is probably crazy. I think the other thing is, and you notice this, you know, we've talked about before about how there are no more fat athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because players have now realized that to be at their peak, it really helps to to take care of their bodies. Yeah. And so yeah. you don't, you don't get skinny athletes and you don't get fat athletes. You get a whole bunch of guys who range from like, they're like either steel cables or they're just a pile of muscle and there's not a lot in between um, <laughs> yeah. or there's not a lot outside that I should say. And so I think in cocaine and, and things like that just don't fit in that yeah. culture very much. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man. And, and, you know, not that I long for that in any way, but, um, I will say, yeah. I bet the, I bet the painkiller culture, mm. like if there's, if there's an abuse of one drug, I bet it's painkillers. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Although even that I think is starting to, to kind of wane, um, you know, at least from, from what I hear in the, in the football culture. But, uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. And the other thing they talked about in the doc was, um, uppers like speed, how they would just, they would just gobble speed like candy. And, and in fact, they called it playing naked. Like if you played without speed, um, you know, that was considered an anomaly. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're you're playing without speed, and and Strawberry said the ball looked gigantic when he was on speed. You know, the the pitch coming in just looked looked fat to him. Well, that's, um, and that's what happens when you have somebody who's like a a transcendent talent, yeah, taking something to enhance their talents. You know, it's if I took speed, I wouldn't I would be able to. Strike I wouldn't be able to yeah. hit a major league fastball. <laughs> exactly. If he takes speed, a major league fastball looks like a little league fastball. I know it, man. That's that's part of the reason why all the talk about you know banning guys who have took steroids in the you know the the nineties and early two thousands just strikes me as odd because sixties seventies eighties players took all sorts of stuff. They didn't take steroids, maybe, but but all sorts of uppers, greenies were sure. the thing that you know that came along or the, the, what they called them later. Yeah, and they were all you know, various amphetamines and things just to, to give them a boost, a performance boost. That's, it's not the same as Barry Bonds hat size going up six sizes in seven years, but, (laughs) but it is an advantage and it's, and it cheats, it tilts the, the competitive balance of the game. Yeah. And yet, and yet, and like Hank Aaron did those Willie Mays did those like (laughs) that was a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you know, a sport that I wonder about with performance enhancing drugs and you don't really hear much about it is the NBA. Uh, we just had an NBA draft. Did you watch the draft pipe? I did. I watched. Uh, uh, well, I watched all the first round. I didn't pay a ton of attention to the second round. Yeah, I watched most of it. I had a friend over who's uh, who's really into it. He's a huge Memphis Grizzlies fan. And, and for the first time, the Grizzlies had like interesting stuff going on in the draft. So uh, so he was pretty into it. But um, yeah, you don't hear a lot about you know, performance enhancing drug culture in the NBA. I mean, you heard a lot about cocaine in the eighties and, you know, probably weed now, but, uh, but yeah, there's not a lot about performance enhancers, I guess. Which is surprising because they, they always talk about they being athletes, former users, that it's not so much about muscle building as it is muscle recovery. 
Right, and, and the grind is so severe. Yeah, the NBA is it's eighty two games in you know, so it's 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 eighty two games in a relatively tight schedule. That mm-hmm. then if you get into the playoffs, like you can end up playing a hundred plus games in you know nine months. Yeah, that's that's a lot, especially if you're a starter. You're playing thirty plus minutes a game. So Absolutely. yeah, I I would be shocked if there weren't players doing some sort of substance to help with their physical recovery, just the muscles, the joints, the pain. Because yeah. it, it has to get brutal by February, March, April, and then on into the playoffs. Absolutely. Dude, so here's my thing about the NBA draft, and here's here's why it's interesting and weird to me how popular it is. So I'm a huge NFL draft guy. Mm-hmm. Like I love the NFL draft. I have my whole life. The NBA draft to me, after the top like two or three picks – just seems like a total crapshoot. Like, like they're just throwing, they're throwing stuff against the wall. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they'll somebody will take like a teenager from France, or somebody will take Muhammad Bamba, who, um, you know, didn't really score much in college and was a rim protector, but like, I don't know, put together a couple of nice workouts, and and you know, all of a sudden he's a lottery pick, and people are like, this guy's going to be a scorer now, and it's. It, it seems very speculative to me. It seems way more speculative and crazy than um, than the NFL draft, where guys are kind of slotted in their positions, and there's a sense of, you know, okay, there's a lot of depth here. There's X number of guys with first-round grades. And sure, NFL teams still make a lot of mistakes, but the NBA just seems like a total, like, dice game to me. Uh, am I way off base with that? No, I, I think you're spot on. Yeah, usually, I mean... It's it's funny because they even, you know, when they do the NBA lottery, that's like the top half of the draft. So it's picks one through 14 uh-huh. um, teams who didn't, didn't, didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, well, there's never 14 stars in a draft. You know, yeah. there's really it's yeah. In any given draft, it's picks one through three or picks like one through seven. This year it was like seven to eight it was sort of where the we we anticipate these guys being good NBA players to stars. Right. Anyone after that, meh, your guess is as good as mine. Absolutely. And so yeah. there's there's a yeah, it, there's a ton of projection. And there have been star players who come out of the second round or like Draymond Green was a second round pick. Gilbert Arenas was a second round pick. Um, like those, that stuff happens, especially yeah. the European guys. You know, like Marc Gasol was a later pick and, and things like that. But um, But I just named the three that I could think of off the top of my head. <laughs> Whereas yeah. in the NFL, if you take any of the guys you take in the first three rounds, mm-hmm. you expect to start for you. Yeah. And if if you expect to start, if not this year, probably next year, they're, repla- they're a replacement for somebody else within two years. Sure. I mean, some of that's because there's 22 starting spots and 53 roster spots and the NBA has five starting spots and uh, what is it? 12 roster spots. That's right. 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 That's a different, it's a different makeup, but but yeah, I mean, if you're picking 15th, you might have a guy who can't ever get on the court for you. Oh, right. The guy might go to the D League for two years and then be done, you know, which is crazy. I mean, I mean at least in the NFL, if you're a first round pick, like you're getting you're getting some run in the league. Yeah. Um, and you, you probably get a couple of chances. You know what I mean? So if you wash out with your first team, yeah, you, you have got... to be you have to be horrendous to wash right. out in, at, you know, if you're a top two round pick in the NFL. Like you just have to be, you'd either have to be severely injured or just 
just useless. I or mean, shoot, a crazy drug problem or whatever. You know, there's off the field stuff too. There's but. and the, the economics of it are such in the NFL that if you take a guy in the first round, you keep running him out there, even if all of the evidence is that he's not a good player. Oh yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, Blake, Blake Bortles just got a second contract because he's proven himself to not utterly suck as an NFL quarterback. But most of that's because he was what a top. He was what the third pick in the draft, fourth pick. Oh in the yeah, draft? yeah, yeah. That's a huge investment. The NBA is a little bit different than that because rookie contracts are not very expensive. It's mm-hmm. the second contract that's expensive. Right. So yeah, if by year three a first round pick stinks, like, eh, move on. Teams have more Absolutely. flexibility to replace stars. So if your first round pick doesn't hit, like it hurts you, mm-hmm. but but you can make up for it. I mean, look at Philadelphia when they were doing the process. Yeah, they had they had a whole bunch of great first round picks, but really only two or three or high first round picks. Only yeah. two or three of them turned out to be great, and a couple That's of right. them that was after severe injuries. Yeah, you yeah. know nobody remembers that like Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor have contributed zero to that team. Exactly, even they were both top three picks. Yeah, and Marco Fultz maybe on the same trajectory yeah, he remains might, to be yeah, seen. He might but... be Jaleel Okafor at six four, and you know Mike, <laughs> Mike, Michael Carter Williams before those guys was a top seven pick, and he was he won Rookie of the Year because he put up a lot of stats, but. All of a sudden, everybody's like, um, everybody's like, oh, he can't really jump, he can't really dribble, and he can't really shoot, and he's bad at defense. <laughs> right. That's, that's not a great NBA player. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of that pipe, which which one of these guys, which one of these picks, and maybe we'll go lottery. Um, which one of these guys are you are you the most excited about, and which which pick do you think was the biggest reach? Um, I think the biggest. Well, let's see here. I think the biggest reach is um, is the Atlanta Hawks trading for Trey Young. Ah, interesting. Talk about that. And it's not necessarily because of what they gave up. I mean, they mm-hmm. gave up the rights to Luka Doncic, who might be the pick I'm most excited about. Because, I think that's that's my most excited one. Because as well. a you know a six eight versatile wing from uh from europe is just super intriguing absolutely Um, it's he could you know people have compared him to everybody from like manu ginobili to larry bird which Uh is that's what happens when you're six eight and white not because i think he does anything (laughs) like larry bird exactly but i'm also excited because he ended up on dallas yeah and dallas the dallas dirk connection like dirk is still there and he's one of the he's one of the guys who i love the most in the nba um rick carlisle's a hard coach to play for but he's not afraid to play a rookie Mm -hmm. um and then they got dennis smith last year who's this just super explosive raw point guard who could probably use somebody who's a shooter and a more refined passer next to him so that's a fun one trey young is like 510 145 pounds and he's got ranged for days right but I, I don't know that he'll be able to do a lot in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. When was no, the last I time? I mean, like, think of think of elite tiny players, yeah. and, they're, and they're all bigger than he is. Dude, right, and they're all thicker than he is, too. Right, I mean, like Isaiah, um, like Isaiah Thomas, um, yep. not, the, not the Pistons Isaiah Thomas. He was an elite little man as well. Different he era. was. I'm talking about this year. So Isaiah Thomas, who most recently played for Cleveland and Los Angeles— Yep. Had a great year two years ago with Boston, you know, mm-hmm. was, um, you know, top three or four in the league in scoring, eight assists a game. 
He's like five eight, but he's he's right. got to have twenty five pounds on Young. Yeah, he's a much better athlete, just way way quicker and more explosive. And he got injured and might never be the same player again. And yeah, so exactly. I just Young's a better shooter, but that just what it seemed like to me was they saw Young be able to do one thing and that shoot threes off the dribble in a way that sort of echoes of Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we want that. And then they drafted yeah. another guy later in the first round, Kevin Herter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is just going to be Nick Stauskas part two. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a white swing man with a sweet jumper who gets uh-huh. picked purely because he has a sweet jumper. Like, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, think, I think they might they might be a disaster. They might be a fun disaster because they're going to shoot a lot of threes. But yeah. they might be an, just an epic disaster for the next couple of years. Dude, how long has it been since the Hawks have been a non-disaster? I feel like they've been a non-entity franchise oh, for they were, they were the number one seed in the East like three years ago. They were just a were really, really boring number one seed. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because it was the it was the Al Horford, Paul Millsap. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else was yeah. on that team? Top, yeah. You know, what's uh Keith? Uh, what's that guy's name? Anyway, it's a bunch yeah. of boring players, but they were yeah. they were a really good system team. So really good passing, a lot of shooting, um, and then but they didn't have a ton of elite players. They just had a bunch of good players, and then of course you know LeBron just rolled them in the yeah. playoffs. But the fun thing is that that coach is now the coach for Milwaukee, where they have again some really good talent, and specifically Giannis Atetokounmpo. So I'm I'm excited to see what a coach who knows how to coach an offensive system can do with real talent. Um, but yeah, the Hawks are just a boring team. And I think that, I think that no matter what they did, they would have maintained being boring, but yeah. they took a, they took a real high risk. Dude, they took a, and I don't a real it. gamble. Yeah. They took a real, real big gamble. Here's my prescription for the Hawks. Scrap every uniform that isn't the Dominique Wilkins era uniform. Oh. I could not agree more. And go back to that exclusively yep. and don't stop messing around with black and, and teal and whatever, whatever other color combination nonsense uh, is happening in Atlanta and, and just go back to that uniform. Yep. Dude, the fan base would go bananas. That's the <laughs> uniform everyone wants to see. Yes. Was there, was there any pick that jumped out at you as like a, uh, a favorite or a least favorite? Dude, I feel like the kid from Duke who was tripping everybody all the time going to the Jazz is just kind of a perfect thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Not because the Jazz yep. are, are are douches in any way, but like but I don't they, know. It just but seems... they but their two their two most famous players ever were both known for being just dirty. That's true. So I guess it does fit well, you know. Uh, so Grayson also, Allen to the also jazz. he's a white dude going to Utah. So he's a white dude going to Utah. So he'll be good. a cultural fit in the market. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, I know, man. He'll fit right in. Oh, uh, the other pick that I hated was yeah. uh, Muhammad Bamba to Orlando. Dude, yeah, I thought that was a mega reach. Mega, uh, well, mega I think reach. here's the thing: I think he might be the second best player on Orlando right now, second or third best player. Like, I think he could be a really, really good NBA player, but yeah. he needs to be a good NBA. He needs to be in a system like what Houston runs, where he has to do like three things: you know, yeah. roll to the rim rebound and defend the rim like that's what he does yeah. and instead he went to a team that has like nine big men no point guard no guards in general and zero shooting yeah and a bunch of guys who are kind of mediocre at everything and yeah. and a new coach like it's just yeah. 
He's Dude, a right. developmental a prospect show. in a place that can't develop anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dude, the thing that blows my mind about these drafts, too, these NBA drafts, is how young everybody is. I mean, <laughs> you look at the first 11 picks, and I'm scrolling down. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pick 12 before we even got to a sophomore. And these, oh, no, I take that back. Mikhail Bridges was a, a junior. My bad. But anyway, the first nine picks, they're all freshmen. Um, and Luka Doncic, and th- these kids are so young, dude. Yeah. And it's like sports fans don't have an appreciation for how young and tender and childlike most college freshmen are. Like the freshmen that, that come into my program are, are average college students. They look like they're 12. Um, you wouldn't trust them with anything because they're freshmen in college, yet like – we're dumping millions of dollars on these guys. We're like uprooting them from wherever they feel comfortable and dropping them into a, a brand new city. I mean, it's, it's a thing that if you, if you take a step back from it, it's almost destined for failure. Yeah. If you, you know des- what I mean? if you described this as a, let's call it a startup program. So like, Hey, we're yeah. going to, we're going to launch a, uh, a leadership development program and right. we've, we've got financial backers. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to take, um, a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds. We're going to rearrange them across the country based really randomly on nothing. Like, so we're not going to look at their cultural background or their fit or whatever. We're just going to stick them in yeah. cities. Um, and then we're going to pay them somewhere between one and a half and six and a half million dollars per year for four <laughs> years. Yeah. And, uh, and just say, just don't screw it up. Oh, and we're going to yeah. film every move that you make. Dude, zero people would invest in that. It would be a gong show. Unless it was a reality TV show, because that's... That's true. And that's essentially what the NBA is. I mean, sports are a reality TV show. That's why people pay attention to them. They're just... they're They're the version of reality TV that grown men can get behind. Dude, that's so true. And there's such a, and I see this in the NFL too, even though the, the ages are a little bit different. There's such an age bias in all of professional sports. Well, two things. I think there's a draft bias and an age bias. Like... If I was running an NBA franchise, I might never make a draft pick. You know what I mean? I, I would forever be trading draft picks. And I don't think NFL teams trade, trade draft picks enough. You know, I think I think Cleveland had a great haul in the offseason by, you know, unloading some of their picks and bringing in some guys who had proven that they can do it on that level. You know, but there's such a – there's a young guy bias. There's a draft bias. Everybody thinks that the next – 18-year-old kid is going to turn their franchise around. And... But the economics back that, especially in the NFL. Think about like if you get if you get a star quarterback anywhere anywhere in the draft, but yeah. especially especially later in the rounds. That means you've got 4 to 5 years of control at like 3% of your overall salary. Right. Then you get somebody like Kirk Cousins who's a, you know, he's probably a top third of the league starter, but he's not an elite quarterback. Yeah. And he's making, you know, 18 to 20% of the salary cap because yeah. he's further out. Like that's it's the same in the NBA. If you can get a guy who by year 2 or year 3 is becoming an elite player, you're paying him four and a half, six and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Paul George is a has the potential to make like 35 million dollars a year like if you look at it, you're like, I think we can get 90% of Paul George in a top 10 pick for, you know, 11% of the money. That's right. just, that that makes a lot of sense. Dude, it makes a ton of sense. But in, in a lot of cases, 
you're getting like 10% of Paul George or even like oh, yeah. 40% of Paul George. So it is a gamble. But it, like in an NFL context, so the Browns trade a fourth rounder and a seventh rounder, and they get Jarvis Landry, who led the league in catches last year. Like to me, that just makes so much sense. Like why isn't every team doing that? You know what I mean? Because that four and that seven, you know, the seven's not even going to make the roster in most cases. The four, eh. I mean, how many fourth rounders pan out or become contributors? Like, it just makes all the sense yeah, the, in the world. The to seventh me to do round that pick in that dra- that in that scenario is essentially a scratch off ticket for the team that, sure. you know, in this case, the Dolphins. Like, they're yeah. like, ah, would you throw in a seven? And Cleveland's like, well, we've got forty two of them. Why not? Here's one. Yeah, why not? We've got a yeah, a, a you know, a whole draft room full of seventh round picks. The other one that they that they kind of took some heat for was a third rounder for Tyrod Taylor. And to me, I do that deal all day long. You know, you get a guy who, you know, has played at a adequate to good starter level for a bad team, um, but has been competent as a starter. Like for a third round pick, of course you do that. You know, um, I don't know. I just think there's a there's a real youth bias. And I, I guess as I look at this NBA draft, I would like to see some of the older guys work out. You know what I mean? I'd love to see you know, uh, a Grayson Allen workout just because he's been in college for a few years. And I, I would like to see the pendulum swing back that way and away from, you know, just throwing money at teenagers because I think it's it's bad business. But well, I've, um, I've got an good. older guy for you to keep an eye on then. And that yeah. is the Timberwolves second round pick <clears throat> who was the Big Ten player of the year. He is mm-hmm. the he was the age of a college senior, but he was a redshirt junior because he missed a year for I think it was sure. for injury. His name is Kata Bates Diop, and he's yep. he's like six eight, swing man, so small forward, power forward, one of the longest wingspans in the draft, multi positional yep. guy, can shoot a little bit, and uh, the thing that I think is going to make him successful mm-hmm. is that he just seems like he's willing to do anything. Sure. And the Timberwolves head coach is a notorious stubborn, hates young guys. <laughs> uh, something or other named Tom Thibodeau. And this is just the kind of player who can crack his lineup because he's nice. going to go, he's going to go hit somebody with an elbow. He's going to defend and froth at the mouth. He's not going to demand a bunch of shots, which means Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns can take all the shots. And, uh, and I think he's, he, I think he's a really smart basketball player, both from the yeah. little bit that I've seen and just, analysis and reading some interviews i'm that was the pick in the draft as a timberwolves fan i was excited about like their their first round pick is a six four freshman out of georgia tech who's the same kind of player but more athletic and i'm like fine that's a total lottery like that's a yeah that's a total just we'll see what comes out of that exactly whereas the second rounder with the non-guaranteed contract is like oh he's absolutely going to be their eighth man this year dude right almost guaranteed absolutely absolutely no, that's a good one, man. That's that's definitely a good one. Dude, the the last two that I'm excited about, two Ukrainians were drafted in the second round. So uh, my sons are Ukrainian, and we follow uh, Ukrainian athletes from time to time. So uh, if anybody can get a hold of a Sviatoslav Mikhailik jersey, uh, Lakers jersey for me, that would be uh, that would be stellar. So um, excited about the two Ukrainians who went to uh, the Wizards and the Lakers in the second round. Pike, do you have a book recommendation to lay on us here as we wrap the episode? Oh, let me find my book recommendations. Um, <laughs> I am going to recommend the book. 
I'm going to go a slightly different direction with this one. There's a book called The Art of Fielding okay. by Chad Harbach or Harbach. Ooh. Interesting. H-A-R-B-A-C-H. Tell me about The Art of Fielding. So I picked this one up on a whim. Uh, you know, I'd heard about it for a while. It is much more literary fiction than classic sports book, but it's all built around baseball. Okay. Um, so it's it's about a, a young guy, Henry Scrimshander is his name, who's mm-hmm. who is from a poor family in the Dakotas and won't be able to go to college. He stars at a high school baseball tournament and gets recruited to this sort of elite um, small college on the coast of or on the on the shore of Lake Michigan in northern Wisconsin. So, so it's a made up school, but sort of based on whatever liberal arts school you can think of. Yeah, um, yeah. But then it's it's really a story about his coming of age and growing into both an elite baseball player and a man. There's some mm-hmm. fascinating characters, um, and but it's it is character based literary fiction. Um, it has an utterly unchristian worldview, sure, but also not one that's it's not proposing much of anything. Okay, so you it's the kind of book you come away from thinking there. It, it leaves a bit of a sense of emptiness and poses more questions than it answers. Mm. Um, so I loved it for the baseball aspect because they did a really good job of, of the Chad Harback did of writing the baseball portion and sort of weaving that into life. But the life portion of it made it really compelling. Um, you know, the romantic relationships and the challenging friendships and the growing into a man and then sort of having a baseball career fall apart. And so art of fielding, fascinating book, really it's entertaining, but sort of in a a deeper way than just that was a fun book. Nice, man. Dude, that's a tough act to follow. I didn't know we were going fiction today, but uh, I'm going nonfiction. My book is called Collision Low Crossers. Uh, it's by a guy named Nicholas Davidoff, who wrote my uh, actually my favorite one of my favorite baseball books. It's called uh, The Catcher Was a Spy uh, about Mo Berg, yes. who was a uh, I've heard um, a catcher, a, a low level major league catcher. Uh, a Jewish guy who was a spy during uh, during World War II. So fascinating book, that one. But uh, Collision Low Crossers, he got to spend a season kind of on the inside of the Rex Ryan era New York Jets. So the book is really magical because of Rex Ryan. Uh, it gives you insight into his personality and kind of, you know, you, you get this one-dimensional di- kind of buffoonish picture of Rex Ryan in the media. But, uh, but he, he's really painted in a sympathetic way in this book. And... Uh, the Jets give this this author great great access, and it's a little bit overwritten in the sense that he kind of has to be the smartest guy in the room at all times. But um, it's a really fun read, really great read. You get to know a lot of um, kind of the insider NFL stuff in a deeper way because of uh, because of reading it. So, Collision Low Crossers is the name of the book. Where does and, the uh, where does the title come from? Uh, it comes from something that linebackers are supposed to do when. Um, there's multiple level crossing routes in a passing play. And if you're, if you're within a certain range, you're supposed to collision the low crosser. So let's say, you know, Julian Edelman's lined up in the slot and he's running a drag into your zone. Um, you're supposed to hit him. You're supposed to, to collision the low crosser and and throw him. I'm always in favor of, of somebody collisioning Julian Edelman. So I'm not going to (laughs) argue with that. I knew you would like that example. So. Uh, so yeah, that's where they get the title and, uh, it's a great little read. So pipe, as we always do, we have, uh, we have wandered to and fro to and fro throughout this episode that was, uh, generously sponsored by the Jackson generals. Uh, so visit jacksongenerals.com 
uh, grab some tickets, head out to the ballpark, uh, have a great time. And until next time, Shy Gilgis Alexander. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful, devotional, and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.